everyone, and Ooh. welcome back. Hold oh. on. Hey, hey, hey. Okay. Well, you do it, honey. All right. Hey, hey, hey! Welcome back. I to- hate. I hate. I think that's trademarked, though. Who did? I think Fat Albert. Hey, hey, hey! <laughs> it's a little different. <laughs> and then there was Haywood Nelson. Hey, hey, hey! From what's happening? Yes, yes. So you know, the, the, hey, hey, hey! I think but we can. I, use no, that you can be the first. Ways. You can be the first white guy to do it and put a spin on it. All right, hold on. Okay, let me go. Think about this. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, 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 what's the whitest possible way I can do that? Oh, hey, guys. I can go, oh, the whitest possible way I can do it is, hey, 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 I'm privileged. There you go. <laughs> so as I was saying, hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Drinking During Business Hours. Thanks so much for tuning in. And if you are returning, thank you so much. I hope you've already liked and subscribed. And if you're just listening in for the first time, I'm Sarah Halstead, and I'm with my lovely fiance, Rich Chasler. Hello, everybody. And, and if this is your first time, please like and subscribe. That's the, what he said to me um, the first time. And she did. She pushed the button, <laughs> got a thumbs up, and that was that. <laughs> so, hey, honey, what are we drinking? So, today, we're actually hey, drinking hey. a beautiful, weird wine. This is, uh, this is a Sauvignon Blanc that comes from Love Block. Now, as we know, Love Block is the sister label to Kim Crawford. Mm -hmm. And what's so special about this particular Love Block, there's two that they make. They make the Love Block Sauvignon Blanc, and this is called the Love Block Tea, T-E-E. And this is special because they've added green tea Yes. Into the mixture. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. This is a husband-wife team, and they are the creators of the very, very, very famous brand, Kim Crawford. So Kim Crawford Sauvignon Blanc, you see it all over, right? right? The green bottle. And, and they sold it, you know, and, and congratulations to them. That's yeah, huge. Billions, probably. Right. And uh, and they created this small, beautiful uh Sauvignon Blanc and Pinot Noir and Pinot Gris called Love Block. And it's a block that they fell in love with, hence, you know, love. And tea, they're from South Africa. So tea mm. is in South Africa is spelled T-E-E. That's why it says, you know, that's why it's on T-E-E the on the bottle. And instead of, yeah, instead of sulfites, it's vegan. And instead of sulfites, they added a little bit of um, of green tea. A little extract. bit of green tea, and it's all natural. And whatever it's, sulfite is in here apparently is naturally developed, so they're yeah. not adding anything to it. That's so cool. And it's absolutely amazing. So if you like vegan, Blanc. yeah. If you like, you know, if if you need, because I do hear often people say that they can't have wine because of sulfites. Right. But which so is a weird is thing you. because peanut butter has yeah, more sulfites yeah, than wine does. Yeah. And they'll tell you while they're eating a PB and J. I know. I think people don't me. really understand it. But for those that, that do and really do have like maybe a, an allergic reaction right. to sulfites. This is a great wine. Love black tea. And it's, it's really it's, delicious. And it's yeah. really inexpensive. I'm digging it. Yeah, this okay. is incredibly but, good. Okay, they're, they're not paying us. So let's, let's shut up. <laughs> no, actually, technically, no, technically, actually, they are. They are oh, pay- they kind they of are paying <laughs> us a little bit. Yes, they are. All right, so what else can we say about it? Love Block, it's we really love you. Incredible. It, it Did really it at your is local great store. Wine. And the nose on it is fantastic, and um, it's got some okay. spicy cumin on yeah, the palate. It is. It's, it's really white peach yummy, and yummy. mandarin orange, and it's just a Now we're making wine. the listeners jealous. Okay, let's not rub yes, it in. Yes, we are. Well, if we really want to make them jealous, they'd be jealous of who we're sitting here with. Today. I can't even believe we wrangled in this guest. So he is a five 
five-time Emmy-nominated writer. That's correct. Five. Right. Five times. Zero time five, winner. Five times. But five times hey, nominated. That's like such a huge, I can't even conceive of that. Right. We have Gabe Abelson on the show. Yes. Hi, Gabe. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Hi, awesome. Good, Good to, to be thanks. here. Good to see you, my friend. Thank you for coming. Yes. On the show. Thank, thank you so you. much for being yeah, here. Thanks a really. Lot. And uh, we, we've met, you know, at, at a show. Yeah, but bri- show. very briefly. So I'm really looking forward to getting to know you. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. Well, this is a good opportunity. Gabe's and you two my, know each other. He's yeah. one of my best friends. And it's really exciting because we have a lot of uh, a lot of parallels in our history, but Gabe is one of these OG guys to me. You know, I mean, he's got an insanely long list of credits. Most notably, uh, Gabe was the uh, head monologue writer for David Letterman for eleven years. Eleven years. Eleven oh, years. Five years. Oh, five I thought eleven. Oh, no, five. Okay. After that was uh, Leno. And Leno. Uh, the other guys. Oh, okay. late, late. all five of those years. Uh, yes, it was a nominee, but all five of those years we won best comedy variety. Show. Right. So they're rich. Yeah. So Gabe, it was interesting because you told me that you didn't even sit in the room with the other writers. You had your own place where you were by yourself writing the monologue. You were kind of like it's the only talk show that was like that because my predecessor, Bill Shaft, who was David's right. best friend, sort of made that his department right and he had a bunch of faxers which is how i started selling freelance jokes right and then you know so i never thought there'd be room there and then one day out of the blue he called me up yeah i'd already been a stand-up for 16 years yes yes an accomplished would you be interested in my job Durr. One wow. of those, you remember where you were, what you were wearing. And, uh, oh, I bet. Right, you know, I bet. And, and what were you wearing? Um, and where were you? <laughs> I was actually in scrubs that I took from the hospital when my son was born. Uh, and I thought this was, I that I was a thief. Well, I was a thief. But I thought this was such a, a horrible, <laughs> unusual thing to do. And I've met tons of dads that have done the exact same thing. <laughs> so anyway, that's yes, hilarious. that's what I was wearing. Um, so and I still, you know, I still had to interview. There were like five guys, but I was the only stand-up, and I think that's what tipped us. That might have been a big deal, especially with you know Dave's yeah, history and, of oh, being yeah. a stand-up, and, and, I mean, and Bill so, Sheft was right. a stand-up, right? But it makes sense for that rhythm and timing, and it has to show in the writing. Yeah, you know. Yep. Um, so let's go back to your stand-up career. How did that? Wh- where are you from? Okay, I'm from New York City. Yes. And okay. I studied um, uh, acting in college, should uh, drama Tish. major, and then um, with Stella, Wayne, with, with oh Wayne, with uh, uh, well with Lee Strasberg. Right. In Amazing. my class, this is crazy. Wow. Uh, in, in a comedy class that I took, that was in the drama department, was Wayne Fetterman, me, Jonathan Schmock, Jim Vallely. The Funny Boys. The Funny Boys. Gary Laser. Wow. Um, and Alec Baldwin. Gary Laser was wow, so funny. Oh, you know Gary? I, I did. Know Gary was, I only know Gary because when I first started doing stand up and I went to New York, Wayne set me up with Lucian at, that's Lucian Hold from right, the comic sure. strip. Very funny, sir, but you're not quite ready to work. He and Bud sort of sounded a little bit alike. <laughs> um, but I, I met Gary Laser at the uh, comic strip. And oh, wow. okay. that cohort was infamous. And I went to Tish as well. I studied acting at Tish and I heard about that cohort. Like you wouldn't believe like that group that you yeah. just mentioned. Yeah. And that, that, but I, I wasn't, I came in too late. I didn't have the honor of studying with Lee Strasberg. 
I mean, what was that like? It was it was amazing. I mean, as as any acting gurus, I'm sure Rich tell you, you know, the stuff that they notice that goes by even experienced actors that they don't know. I mean, it's just like they're like Sherlock Holmes detectives. Yes, yes. Everything that's not uh, that's not a hundred percent. You know, I think I I think my favorite story uh, is I saw two of his senior students from the actor studio already. I, I was in college, so we would. The people who would do scenes for Lee, we had his teachers, you know, the other teachers that were there. Once a week, we'd have Lee. But the people who would do mm. scenes were his actor studio people. And so they were adults. They were grownups. They did the scene, and they <clears throat> opened the scene by crossing each other on the street. He stops them after 10 seconds. What are you doing? Well, what it says in the stage directions, they cross each the street and don't notice each other. He says, well, they don't notice each other. Is that the way you cross the street? Yeah. I put one foot in front of them. That's not how you cross the street. He says, go to your marks. I'm going to ask you to do it again, and when I say go, I want you to think of the last five movies you saw. Go. <gasps> because when you're crossing the street, you're doing everything but thinking about crossing the street. Right. right. And so there was this total inner life. They were totally distracted, and suddenly it was all real. And I mean, that's, you know, that they do that a million times a day, but it was it's just one of those things. But the average it person does not. It goes to monologue. Study yeah. every yeah yeah that's it's those those details that make a tremendous difference you know it, in our a, work that's yeah. a funny story because you know I worked with Stella Adler mm-hmm. for a long time and the very first time I ever worked with Stella the very first time I ever was on stage in front of Stella Adler I made an entrance I was on stage about three seconds and she stopped me <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> and she goes where are you coming from I said well. I'm coming from outside. And she goes, and what's going on outside? I said, it's a blizzard. And she goes, and you walked in here like you were in Hawaii. You didn't cover your entrance. We don't know it was cold. You did nothing to indicate to us it was cold. You had no reaction to the cold. Get off stage and come back and do it Feel again. The cold. Well, the cold. since we're all, you know, t- bragging about who we studied with, that one time when I was with Uta Hagen, <laughs> <laughs> no, but true story, I didn't even get to her class. I was 33 seconds late. So she locked the door. That was, a and I never. I, so I never did study with Uta Hagen. True story. No, Stella used and to I do that too. And I paid for the class, and I yeah, she wouldn't let me in. If you're late, <laughs> and I got kicked out yeah. the first day. <laughs> Stella would lock the door ten seconds. That, if you was a twelve was. o'clock class, she would look at the clock, and at ten seconds to twelve, she would have somebody lock the door. And if you were late, you didn't get in. And her whole philosophy was, this is not public school. You don't have to be here. Right. There's how absolutely, how bad do you want to be yeah. here? You should be an hour early. I don't care what's going on in your life. There's absolutely zero reason why you should ever be late to an acting class. And that's why, and it's so interesting, you called to tell us that you <laughs> might be late, but you weren't. You ended up being right on time, but you were like, I'm always early. I'm, I'm always early. early. <laughs> well, entertainers are always always early for this show i've noticed well we get trained you know that's the theater you can't be late you're not going to get hired again yeah yeah but so so that's fascinating what year did you start doing stand-up uh well if you can call start doing stand-up it was mostly hanging out because you know back then uh and comics today don't realize there were no open mic no they didn't exist they have been here or there but none of these most no shows now were independently produced shows right. with these little clubs and back then in new york um and this is even before the comedy cellar there was comic strip 
Catch Rising Star, The Improv, and then the only sort of B club was called Good Times. Ah, and the first place I ever went up in New York City. As, as did a lot of people. 33rd and 2nd. He was like the in-house MC. Yeah. Um, so uh, I started the comic. I knew what I wanted to do all through school. I mean, since I was 14, really. And then oh. I did stuff in college, at, uh, cabarets in college with Wayne Fetterman and Gary Laser. And mm. then when I got out, like, I immediately went over the comic strip and auditioned. And I auditioned the night that Eddie Murphy was being seen for the last time for Saturday Night Live because the comic strip was his home club. And so, you know, I went up wow. after Eddie. Mm -hmm. um, but this before uh, um, Eddie was famous because he wasn't even on the show yet. God, that's how long I've been doing this. Right. Uh, and so he got booked that night. And that night, uh, Bob Wax saw me uh -huh. and passed me. So I didn't have to go through, jump through all the hoops and keep going back. And so it worked out. I mean, <sighs> I was I was terrible, but they saw something I guess. And so then, you know, you, you hang out, you hang out, you get late night spots yeah. back then. Right. There were three shows and the late night show started, it started at, mi at midnight. <laughs> two o'clock in the morning oh sometimes. Yeah. I would be there on a Wednesday yes. night two in the morning. Yes. Diehards. Totally, totally different. But there would be an audience? Yes. Yes. Because it was yes. something that you really had to seek out then. It wasn't like, oh, the movie's sold out? Okay, let's go to a comedy club. It wasn't like that. People went to see comedy. Mm -hmm. It yeah. wasn't an Where alternative. Did, it was beautiful. Where yeah. did those I mean, people go? I, I started in eight, <laughs> now they're at home on their couch. But even when I started, you know, there were only, in LA, there were only four clubs. Yep. There's the improv, the comedy store, Laugh Factory, and if you wanted to really get in your car, you went to the Ice House. Right. That right. was it. That's all there was. Yeah. There were no open mics. That's right. The comedy store had one on Monday at six o'clock, but that was really it. Otherwise, you had to hang out. Yeah. You know, that was it. That was you, it. You had to hang out, and then you'd beg and beg, and at one fifty-five in the morning, they'd be like, all right, give the kid a shot. Right. Wow. And there's like three what? people in the front row blowing cigarette smoke in your face. And you get hardened, and you get yeah. better, and then and you start getting spots. Yeah. 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 You know, it hasn't changed that much in terms of, you know, I, I have a little show. I just run a little room at the Hollywood Improv, the lab. Yes. And as the producer, I do end up booking the squeaky wheels. Yeah. I, end, I do. I yeah. do. The ones Good. who are always there, the ones that are like really supportive of the show and are constantly hitting me up for a spot. And right. then I will. It's convenient. It's like, oh, um, and as I'm thinking, you know, as I'm creating the next lineup, I'll get a, a DM from one of them. I'm like, oh, thank you. Yeah, you're on. You available? Great. Got You know, so I, I don't think it's changed that much in terms of, I mean, yes, it's not 2 a.m., but... And no, I wouldn't just put them on. You know, I would, I would, I would, I would book them for <laughs> a next, but for a future show. Yes, yes. showing up. They see you in their club from show 9.30 up. till yes. 2 in the morning. Right. And yeah. Yes. And, you know, back then, that was also the way I got all my gigs, was pretty much just from the comic strip. And then other people would tell you about bookers or about saying, shows, yeah. and then you would yep. call Roger Paul or whoever else, you get their number. And by the way, that still happens. Yes. That still yeah. happens, which is why it's important as a comedian. It doesn't almost doesn't matter what level you're at. You got to be hanging out at the clubs if you want to get the work. 
Yeah. You know? And that's why I don't work. <laughs> <laughs> now, okay, but your your acting career is really impressive. So what, did that happen simultaneous with while you were doing stand-up in well, New York? Well, what happened when, when I graduated uh, from college, uh, you know, I always did tons of celebrity impressions. And so I started to get a lot of vo voice work um, in radio. And then they stopped using sound-alikes. I think there were some lawsuits and stuff. And oh. There just weren't as many. I, you know, I did characters. I don't have the standard announcer's voice. But I was getting a lot of work. And then... Um, Celebrity um, voice impersonated. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. And then, and then, but stand-up was, you know, my first love. And then I just kind of forgot about it. And then two years ago, when I was writing and producing the show for Discovery, Josh Gates Tonight, mm -hmm. you know, it's it, it's a small show. And so they would so say, impressive. we need someone to play this, to play that. And they would you know, want to reach out to an actor and say so I can do it and so I got to act you know one of the shows I played five different roles it was so much fun yeah that's thanks phenomenal. Gabe way to bring your friends in no I'm kidding <laughs> that, that's phenomenal so um, so when you started writing for David Letterman I would imagine everything everything just kind of opened it was like a, a whole new door Absolutely. relationships opportunities i mean how how were you able to navigate i mean all of while i was there i was so focused on that and mm -hmm. it was you know my first job in tv arguably to this day was my most stressful and most important mm. you know being the guy to, to to you know and so much riding on it and so much on my shoulders i didn't really focus on anything else but once yeah. i left there yes it opened the door to everything that came afterwards. Oh, I would imagine. What but a huge credit. Can I tell a quick story? Go. Oh, you, tell I, tons of stories. Yeah. Because it ties into the commercials the and acting and Letterman. So, um, I, right before I got that job, uh, when I know I'm like, I might be picked for the Letterman job, I get my first huge on-camera national TV commercial. Ooh, and, and it was when Frasier first went into re reruns. So they created a character, this was about seven years after Rain Man came out, eight years, uh, called Crane Man, because Frasier Crane. And it was basically <laughs> Rain Man who's walking around, his pacing in his room going, yeah, I gotta watch Frasier, yeah. I can't even do it anymore, but that was it. So yeah. it's a typical commercial or actor's right. audition story. I go down to um, uh, the one on like 23rd Street. Lee, Lisa, uh, uh, I, I know. Lewis, Liz Lewis. Liz Lewis, Liz Lewis. yes. So We've all been there. a Liz yeah. Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> I, so I go down there and I walk in and every guy there looks like Dustin Hoffman. Oh, boy. And, you know, I mean... I, I don't think I look like Dustin Hoffman, but no. in any case, they were all looking like Dustin Hoffman. So I almost turned on my heels and walked out. And I said, okay, what the hell? And so I go in, I do, yeah, yeah, I do my whole thing and I leave and I forget about it, you know? Um, and I get a call back. Wow. And so then I go on the call back. And I get a call from my agent. Congratulations, you got the gig. Like, wow. Why? <laughs> <laughs> and so they said, okay, so, you know, we're shooting. Next week, we got to, you know, we got to give you the haircut. Uh, in other words, like a mental patient haircut, which could be argued I don't need to do. It's like much. the one you have now. Exactly. Um, and then, and we, and we have to dye your hair. So I know nothing about hair dye. I've never dyed my hair, believe it or not. It's still this that hides the gray. So they sent me to this place Park Avenue. And I know nothing, but I don't know from temporary permanent hair dye. They just did their thing. And if you try, you know, Dustin Hoffman has almost black hair. Mm. If you try to dye this black, what happened was it came out like carrot tops hair. And right. It was like bright red. And then they dyed it again. It was darker red, then again brown, then again, then again. And so, they also had to dye my eyebrows. Oh, your hair is going I through it. a little at that point. When I came home, and by the way, for me, this is color. 
from hiking every day. <laughs> <laughs> cheek. So when I come home with black eyebrows and black hair and that skin tone, my kids were crying. They, they you know, Who is and, this and, and crazy my man uh, was like, I, you know, you look like the devil. And <laughs> so uh, then um, Bill calls me up and he says, okay, you have your interview with Dave. And I've never met Levin, oh. but I know enough, I think we all do, to think, oh God, something like this might totally freak him out. Right. I wouldn't want to spend every day with that, <laughs> that to himself. So, so I said, Bill, before the interview, you please tell Dave I don't normally look like this. I'm doing this commercial. It's it is permanent, but it'll be out in a few months. I uh, said, "Oh God, I'm glad you told me because that is something that that may have bothered him." So uh, I go, I do How the you interview. Look. I go home, and Bill calls me up after the interview, and, and I said, "Well, how'd it go?" He said. He said it went really well. He said Dave really likes you. He can see you as a guy that he can work with every day. And um, he had, I said, anything negative? He said, no. He just, you know, he had one comment for me. He said, what's the deal with his hair? <laughs> and I said, Bill, tell him you told him. Told him what? Oh, no. And I can, you know, it's like I can just see it going away. You know, I said, please, <laughs> right now, go down and tell him about the commercial. He went, oh, my God, I forgot. And he ran down and he told him and always okay but it's always like that in this right. business you know the timing is never right for anything and uh it was just funny that i that, lost because of that think, but you were behind the scenes you're a writer it, it mattered how you looked that's uh, so fascinating to me that's so dave very, <laughs> <laughs> i mean i don't know him but that's kind of matches his persona yeah, right of yeah, who exactly. we think he is exactly. like, like i said i he would just... knew that he would be that even before i went in there yeah that's um, hilarious I love that story. Now, That's in your great. early days of doing stand-up, now, I, and I started working at the comic strip in 1986. Uh -huh. You started working there probably in 1980. So you came up with Larry David. No, no, he was before me. Oh, yeah? David and Seinfeld and Riser were probably about four or five years ahead of me. Um, I was sort of the next generation, sort of the... Who can I say? Because uh, uh, Sandler and Rock came in at 86. They came the, in the year you came in. Chris, I met Chris for the first time at the comic strip. One night, Eddie had brought him in. Yeah, yeah. Because the owners of the club managed Eddie right. at that time. That would be Bob Wax and, and Richie Tinkin. Richard Tinkin. Yep. And they were Eddie's managers. And Eddie brought Chris in. And he was doing something totally different when he had first started than what he was doing now. Totally different. Yeah, but that was where I first met Chris Rock. And Sarah Silverman used to work there That's when right. I was working there. And um, Judy Mark Gold, Mark Marin. Gold. Yeah. Um, I was there. I was emceeing the night that Eddie came in, and Chris Rock was a late-night guy. Hadn't even passed auditions yet. And um, Eddie said to me, who, he said, who's emceeing? I said, I am. He said, uh, is this guy funny? I said, yeah, he's really, because Chris was already real, a right. great writer. He said, put him up for 10 minutes. Saturday night, first show, I put him up and Chris destroys. And then Eddie takes Chris and they sit down in the booth. They talk for two hours. And next thing you know, he flies him out to do Beverly Hills Cop right. 2. Mm. And it was amazing because at this point in history, Eddie Murphy was the biggest star in the world. I mean, nobody came close. Oh, yeah. my God. I remember. I Time Magazine is Mr. Box Office. Yeah. Frame was, that comic strip. was that before Delirious or that was after? After. after. after okay, so Delirious kind of crescendoed. Right Beverly Hills Cop 1. Yes. You know what's funny? You just reminded me of something. I actually didn't meet Chris the first time at the strip. I was a guard at Paramount. Oh, wow. When they were doing Beverly Hills Cop 2. Okay. And I met him at Paramount 
with Eddie because I used to work on that detail when Eddie's buses would come in because of his brother, Charlie, right, Charlie right. and I became friendly. So they put me on Eddie's detail when Eddie was on the lot. Wow. Yes. And that was where I met Chris actually for the first time That's was at Paramount. One more, one more thing about the hair and I'll drop it. <laughs> <laughs> I, just went, I just have one. Left. So when you, when you showed up on set with the darker hair per their request, but it looked terrible. What did they, how did they, not, you know, what I did they say? Everybody else Wait. just pretended not to notice. Really? So you did the commercial with the hair that looked weird. Oh, you're talking about when I did the commercial? Yeah. Well, that's what they were expecting. They were expecting so a guy to they, walk in and look like Rain Man. Whoa, I didn't think he looked that, that strange as the character, but I mean. No, I mean, that's, I, but because that's who he is. He yeah. Dustin Hoffman doesn't have to look like Dustin yeah. Hoffman. Yeah, oh, okay, it, it, I see. It's just the hair, just, his hair was kind of chopped weird. Yeah, like the, oh, maybe it was, okay. Uh, <laughs> 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 if I can describe it as such. Oh, but you, did, you ended up doing like a plethora of commercials. We had that in common. I did, I did a lot yeah. of commercials too. Yeah, yeah. But you did, you did commercials back when the money was like abundant. I did commercials when it's like, you know, you late night crip erase. I only did that one uh, on camera, the one on camera. Uh, well, the nationals were just so hard to book, though. Hard, hard. Yeah. Hard. But yeah. Yeah. And then you did some TV stuff, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, in, the, uh, in 1991, was it, I co-hosted a show on Comedy Central called Short Attention Span Theater. Oh, that's right. With uh, Brian Regan. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I forgot about that Short Attention. We used to watch Short Attention Span Theater. It, I, I loved it. I'm not talking about when I was on. Right. There have been a few hosts. Yes. I thought it was a very good show. And that was, I thought it was, that too. That was when, you know, the you were on TV all the time, every day on Comedy Central, because mm -hmm. they would rerun, rerun. You know, every everything was a buyout, and so they could rerun it as often as they want. So right. it's good exposure wise, you know. Um, what were oh. the uh, when you were you were writing for late night? What are those hours? I mean, you know, I had, um, I I I've had very decent hours in in late night um, because well, certainly at Letterman as a monologue writer. Once the show is done, I really could have left. I would always try to get a little bit start on the next day. If there was a story in the news that was so big that I know he'd be talking about it the next day, ah. I, would, I would try to get a head start because there was a lot of writing to do. Mm. Um, but the other guys, but even still, I would leave by like 7.30 because we taped at 5.30. Uh, the other writers would often stay till 11 or midnight. Mm. Um, I did get in early in the morning again because I had to get all my jokes into him by 11 o'clock. So that means wow. I had to go through about 300 of the Faxers jokes and pick about 50 that I thought he would like. And then, um, you know, write another 20 or 30 of my own. Um, and then stuff came in from the boys, Mulholland and Barry, these two guys who wrote for Johnny for, for many, many years. Um, and so, yeah, I would get it all together, give them to him 11. His assistant would bring him back with the jokes checked off that he liked. I would always find a couple that I, I liked that I would, and then I'd bring them to Tony uh, Mendez, the cue card guy, have him put them on, go to rehearsal at three. Wow. Yeah. Did you say it would start off at, at 50 jokes? Um, it, I would get about 300 from the faxers because I had about 13 faxers. So I had really my own sort of staff. 
Oh, um, I don't I, know what I, faxers means. Faxers oh. are comedians who will fax in a joke. I, I was a faxer for Leno for a while. Mm-hmm. You would literally write a joke, oh, you fax it to the phone number, and if they would use your joke on the air, were they paying 50 bucks a joke, Letterman, or no Letterman money? Letterman was 75. because Leno was 50. Right. But you would get, it once you, wow. you have to submit jokes in order to get the fax number. So they didn't just give the number out to everybody. Oh yeah, no, no, you, you had to send a package. You'd have to approved. send a package, get approved, and if they approved your jokes, then you could get the fax number. Smart. Then every day you could fax in jokes. And if they used your joke on the show, you, you would get 75 bucks or 50 from Leno. But that's, so, yeah. So 300 faxers, and then you would write your- 15 how, faxers, 300 jokes about. 300 um, jokes. Then I'd write about 20 or 30. I wrote more wow. when I was a faxer because I didn't have all the other stuff to do. So I actually wrote fewer, sometimes, some days, even only 10 jokes, because that was all I had time for. Um, and then, yeah, and then um, give them to give them to Dave, uh, and then he would check off the ones he liked. I would always find ones that I thought were funnier, not that I was a better judge. He's David Letterman. But what it's what I respected about him was he would pick jokes that just he found funny, didn't care if America would laugh at them or not. And the only thing that bugged me was he, we only did eight jokes in the monologue and Dave would pick like four that just he would laugh at or comics would laugh at. <laughs> like pick two like that. Right. So, you know, so sometimes if I insisted on a joke, sometimes he would say no, sometimes he'd explain why. And then sometimes I'd talk him into it and then sometimes I would really twist his arm and we, we, he would only do it if we, I was willing to bet a hundred bucks on the joke. Um, oh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so what he would do is, I would say, you really want me to do that? I'd say, yeah, and it was always 100. It was never less, never more. It was always 100. <laughs> 100 he bucks. said, okay, 100 bucks. And I knew that he would go out there and try and tank the joke to uh, prove me wrong. Right. He would punish America to prove me wrong. So, so I would only, I was very careful. I didn't want to lose a hundred bucks. I was making good money. I didn't want to lose a hundred bucks. So, so I would, uh, I would purposely only choose bur- jokes that were bulletproof. Right. Were so strong on paper that it wouldn't matter how he delivered them. Right. So more often than not, almost always I would, you would win that hundred bucks. There's times you can see him turn around from his monologue, Mark, look at me and go, Uh, (laughs) that's so prolific i just can't even fathom writing so many jokes like every day it's just you know it's it's a it's a um just this weird thing that i can do if i wrote if i write five new jokes for my act every year it's a lot yes that's how i feel (laughs) yes exactly it's a a totally different skill half the joke is written for you already the setup the setup is always written um and then it's it's just finding an association and you know you do this after a while it's uh, although i shouldn't say that i've been doing stand-up twice as long it just doesn't come yeah but your brain what a lot of people don't understand about stand-up and i learned this from my mentor rick overton when I was maybe three years in, oh, wow. he said, eventually your brain retrains itself to think a certain way. So you could be sitting at a dinner table and someone could say, pass the cream spinach. That's a setup. Your brain will right. automatically write a punchline for it. And it, you could be anywhere. You'll hear something. Your brain will write the punchline for it. It's sort of like reconditioning a muscle. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of people don't really understand that um, it takes a long time of being um, immersed in the the practice of writing jokes and being around people telling jokes that 
gets your brain thinking differently. Yes. And I remember when I was told this, I was like, well, I don't know. Then all of a sudden, I remember, I don't even know how long I was into it, but one night we were all hanging out at the improv and I was just firing off that night and someone said, man, dude, you are just so fast. And I was like, I don't even know. And then it hit me that I had gotten to that point where my brain was hearing differently than it was when I first started. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's a, like a muscle memory. Yeah. Brain muscle memory. It's also rhythm. It's very rhythmic. Yeah. Yes, it's very rhythmic. And, and you know, sometimes a punch won't be that funny, but it's just the way it was presented. It's a combination the, of the actual yeah. joke and how the person delivering it, you know, seasons it. Absolutely. That's the and, thing. And, you know, in late night, um, uh, not to change from... Uh, no, it, this night, is about they you. They're related and yet they're opposite forms of stand-up comedy. And the reason I say that is stand-up is all about the internal, who you are, right. is most of it. And that's why the joke has to be that much better than the stand-up joke, because it's got to jump off the page. There's mm. no you there to sell it. Right. Yes. So, um, and it's all looking outward, looking at politics, pop culture. So there's no you. I mean, at, uh, oddly enough, I mean, Dave, if anyone did more, used the word I more in his act than anybody because a lot of it was personal mm. um you know uh um uh it's thanksgiving it's packed crowded in new york i was on the subway today i was pushed i was touched i was groped i'm going back tomorrow right you know it, it was a lot about him or him being a loser at sex or whatever that you don't see other hosts really doing that ferguson got personal but right. most of them it's just looking outward and wow. i think for me that's why it was easier because i was never really comfortable with just pulling back the layers and burying my soul is much more comfortable with that sort of observational stuff. That's fascinating. Right. And it was uh, mainly topical, no? All like topical. that. All so topical. that so, fact, so, so that's topical, you know, I've been teaching it for uh, about 20 years. Oh. Um, for anyone who's interested, Flappers Comedy Club. Oh, <laughs> I, I did not Shout know. Shout out to television right. and writing for late night that's television. That's a big oh. shout out. That's a big shout out to Barbara. Yes. And the crew and at Flappers, Flappers Comedy yes. Club, Barbara Holiday, and the crew at Flappers in Burbank, fantastic club. Yep. And I'm not going to lie to you, a really good pizza. The best yeah. pizza, like, one of the best pizzas in town. Really and good the chewy pizza. chocolate chip Great menu. Chip great menu. Too. Yes. Yeah. Um, so anyway, one of the things that I say, talk about topical is I tell my students, and again, nobody taught me this. It's just stuff I've, you know, I'm freaking old, so I've picked it up. Um, is uh, uh, never used, I tell them never use the word recently. Because a lot of people do that. Recently, mm. Joe Biden, I said, well, it sounds like it could have been written a month ago. Right. I said, the only time you should timestamp a joke is yesterday, because tonight's the show. Right. Earlier today, later today, tomorrow, or if it's a Monday, Friday show, this weekend was Easter. Right. You know, this weekend, we changed the clocks. Other than that, never say last week or recently. Yeah, why? why? It it's just, exactly. You know, there, it's, there's so many simple little things like that, but we're going back, um, I know I'm jumping around a lot. No, I love it. To the, um, um, to the rhythm. Monologue is very much a combination of music and math because basically writing a monologue joke is all about solving for X. So, for instance, uh, uh, if I can I break down one joke, please. I, I, I think yeah, about love it. Um, when this Clinton was caught with Monica, uh, I was here during that, you know, every, every night every, we ended yeah. with a, with a blowjob joke. Basically, right. I, rem I remember Dave's jokes yeah, from that time to do for TV, but yeah. everybody knew what was going on. Right. So it would get the biggest laugh, you know? Um, so, 
there was an item in the paper that um, uh, Clinton, after getting caught, hired two spiritual advisors to come and pray with him in the Oval Office. I said, it's got to be a joke here. Oh, of course. So the joke ended up being President Clinton hired, hired two spiritual advisors to come and pray with him every week. Just we need more people in the Oval Office on their knees. Ah. Right? So, so a couple of things Perfect. about that. So I, the other thing that's very hard to break comics of, because almost all my students are comics, and people you've had on the show, some sure. very veteran comics as well, is to teach them to not try and think of a funny punchline, because that's the death of a monologue joke. Mm. To try to find the handles in the setup and think of an association that's something completely unexpected but ties in perfectly in a unique way. So I know I want to get to the sex act with Monica and Bill, and I know that I have spiritual advisors. So those are actually two very clear handles. It's not always that clear. I know I got to tie those together. So I'm thinking, what is it? They wear robes, maybe Monica's blue dress and the DNA stain, maybe confession, right. Clinton, a confession. What else they do? Wine, wafer, they pray. They're on their knees. And that's the light bulb moment. Right. And so now the joke is really written. Now it's just writing the most efficient version of that to get to that punchline. And in fact, fat. the first way I wrote it was just we need more people on their knees in the Oval Office. It would still get a laugh, but that's the other thing I teach is it's got to be in the Oval Office on their knees. Knees is the punch word. Right. It's, you know, if, if I were to diagram a joke, it would be like going up that roller coaster. And then it's got to be that huge drop. Because if you have on their knees in the Oval Office, now you're going around those. It has loops. to be Oval Office on their knees. On their knees. It has to end on, yes, for yeah. sure. That's, that's brilliant. Yeah. And so is it, what is your opinion of working clean versus blue? Is it much more, I find it more difficult to work clean. I, I hear a lot of comics, but but. I, I think it's I think it's more of a challenge mm -hmm. to work clean, but mm -hmm. I also think it's like you know if Jerry Seinfeld just started throwing you know f bombs f bombs it would what you know and whereas if Sam Kinison you know or someone like that were to suddenly work clean it would be also because I think it really depends on the on the person the character the persona of of the comic I agree with that uh, there there are comics that do stuff that you know I think of a lot of really twisted stuff that I just can't get away with on stage but I could give to somebody that has the persona Well that's that because you look like a grown up Jay North <laughs> Nobody no even knows who Jay <laughs> North was. Jay Nobody North, I'll Jay ask. North was the kid I, who. I should pretend I, I didn't the, know. Jay <laughs> North no was. Idea. I know you would though. Jay North <laughs> was the child actor who played Dennis the Menace on the original Dennis the Menace TV show. Okay. <laughs> All right. I see the blonde eyebrows. No, seriously, he's the most Aryan-looking Jew I've hair. ever known. <laughs> Tell my mother uh, survived the war. Literally, right, literally, literally <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> what kind of water is this? this is um, it, it, San Benedetto. Italian water. Yes, derived from, from, the, the from the Dolomites. Yes. Very pure. It's good water, isn't it? Yeah. Very good. Yeah. 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 Our guests get nothing but the best here at Drinking During Business Hours. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that's absolutely fascinating. So as you continued uh, in, the, in the writer's room, mm -hmm. as like a head writer or what how how did that writer, work like for the monologue okay so I actually okay wasn't, as rich was saying, I, I actually wasn't even in the writer's room right um i it, it was like my own sort of fiefdom there at the show uh occasionally wow. if i had extra time i would contribute a top 10 because that's just one line or two lines or whatever uh but i didn't get involved in the rest of the show okay and then the next show i was at after that i did a couple of things from tv new york and then 
Uh, I, and then I got hired by uh, Bill Maher's Politically Incorrect, the old show. Incredible show. Incredible. And that's really how my career started because mm. I was doing audience warm-up for that show oh. in 94. And one night I watched his monologue. I thought, you know, I think I can write a joke like this. So I said to the executive producer, do I give it to you or Bill? He said, well, we have a fax team. There it was 50 bucks. It was a non-union right. show at the time. He said... You know, it's kind of a thankless job. We look to our staff first. So I sent jokes in the first night. I sent in three of the six jokes were mine the very first night. So I'm thinking, oh my God, this is this is this is I would my calling. And then of course the next night, nothing. <laughs> showbiz. Very quickly. And showbiz. But, but it was only about two or three weeks, and they said we want to put you on. Then they did, yeah. So because I'd proven, you know, we they weren't going to give me a staff job. I had no. Uh, previous experience in television, but it was a nice number for, you know, already in the 90s, money was going down and standing, right. so brought it back up. It was something I loved doing. And then they cut the fax program when they went to L.A., and they got the ABC show, and that's when I started with Letterman. But eventually, when the Letterman show and the, a couple other things had ended, I got a call from them um, to come out and do Politically Incorrect, which I never would, again, mm. never would have gotten without the Letterman right. mm -hmm. job. So... Um, so, yeah, so that I was with that show till it uh, went off in 02. And then down the hall, this is at CBS Television City, down the hall was Late Late Show with Craig Kilborn. So I started there. And then from there to Tom Green as a head writer. And so then now you're just like in the mix. Like you're kind of known. Like, now I'm rolling, They're like, yeah, you know, call, a, call, call and, Gabe Abelson, you and, know. And then I got hired as a co-creator with Robert Morton. Who right. Be a Letterman, which is so bizarre. Morty. Morty and I knew of each other, but we didn't know each other of uh, Mind of Mencia. Mm -hmm. And then um, I could have stayed with that show, but then there was an opportunity to go to The Tonight Show. And at that point, I, I you know, I didn't know Mencia had lasted six years or whatever. Right. And how do you say no when The Tonight Show says, You can't. You know. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's where I went and then just been kind of bouncing around. And right. So, so currently, are you writing for a show I, I was. Uh, the strike happened. I don't know what. Oh, of course, with, of course. I was on. Okay. So, Can you yeah. talk about it or no? Are we not supposed I, to? I honestly don't know what's going on. I know. Oh. Well, you know, they, the company was uh, bought. And okay. So we've I had some know. guests on the show that can't talk. You know, to to honor the strike, they won't even mention the show. We actually so. uh, isn't that what kind of happened with? Oh no, our situation. Gabe and I used to host a radio show together. Yes, we did. And I. Did that company get bought also? I think they eventually Dash got, got bought, bought by somebody yes. else, right? Yep. yep. That was so much fun. That was so much fun. We had a really cool show on Dash Radio called Splitsville. And one... and. Can I say who? Does, whatever you want. Doesn't matter? No. So Jeff Schimmel, who is Robert Schimmel's brother was working for Dash Radio, and he's the one who brought Gabe on. So Gabe was doing this show. I came on as a guest. The episode was so good. Remember we talked that woman off a ledge? Yes. A woman called the show suicidal and oh. was ready to kill herself. Oh, my God. And Gabe and I kept her on the phone for like 40 minutes and literally that's, saved her life. That's really intense. And afterward, Gabe was like, that was the best show I've ever done. We have to do this together. So... Gabe brought me on as his co-host and we started to do this show together and we were getting wildly popular. And out of the blue, this guy, Jeff Schimmel goes, yeah, um, you can't do this anymore. This isn't the show that you pitched to me. And so I don't want to do this. Like he got real jerky 
And then Dash Radio, I think, got sold. Yeah, it, it lasted a little while longer, and then, I don't know, then they, they moved to right. and then they got bought out. It really sucks yes. when the company gets sold, because the new people have Tell no, they have no uh, desire to keep anybody. They want to bring their own people in all the time. Well, there are just so many moving parts to make yeah. something kismet in this and industry, they they, right? They want to I mean, weight around, say, well, we have yeah. ideas, or yeah, we want to change everything up. And are you, so are you, are you performing standup or you're teaching standup? You I'm, said I'm you're teaching standup. Okay. Uh, I work with everybody from beginners to people that already have Netflix specials. Um, uh, I think some of those are beginners and <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, I mean the way standup is these days, you know, well, I know, I know a guy who's never been on stage ever got a Netflix special. Oh my God. <laughs> Oh, it feels that way, but no. Um, but yeah, so I, I may, it's, I enjoy teaching, I think, more than anything else I do. Oh, um, because I have that's students so nice. on almost every talk show. Um, the head writer of Kimmel, Gary Greenberg, was a student of mine about 30 years ago. Um, and I love being able to take people, you know, blank slate and teach them how to do this and then watch them go out there and win. Uh, get jobs and win all the Emmys. Oh my goodness! Now. No, to be, no. Age, you're not, there's no. I'm no, sorry. I, we I don't, don't believe in that. Oscar winner this year. That's very exciting. Yeah. Oh, and can you say who? Yeah, absolutely. Oh. I'm so proud of him, and I don't claim any responsibility for how brilliant he is. A guy named Trevon Free, um, who was a stand-up when he took my class at Flappers, uh, and then he got a job writing for uh, Colbert, and wow. then he was with Samantha B, and he uh, uh, he was with Daily Show. And I think he's got five Emmys. Mm. And then last year, he won Best Short Subject uh, for uh, a film called Two Distant Strangers. And very, very heavy, uh, um, mm. heavy piece. But uh, yeah, he's just, and now he just, I think, won another Emmy for an ESPN show. So he's just That must be really wow. rewarding. Very rewarding. Yes, yeah, yes. It's a lot of fun. And well. then, but performing, I'm mostly doing the uh, that crazy... Um, Persuasion mind reading show. Well, y yeah. Can you, can you, you talk a little bit about that? Rich was filling me in. There's I was like, trying oh, to yeah, explain yeah. it to her, but you know, she will. Yeah, it's so Gabe does something. Gabe is a mentalist. My uncle was a mentalist. He practiced. It's called men mentalism is the practice. Mm -hmm. And it's really different than magic. Okay. But it's in the same category as magic. It's crossover, but okay. it's not, I wouldn't categorize it the same, at least the stuff that I like doing the most, um, which is the psychological, psychological bullying, which is basically where people have a choice of a number of things and they think of one, but basically linguistics that I use, body language that I use makes that the only choice, even though they think they had a completely free choice of things. But, um, uh, but Give, I, I, I was going to give a quick example. So, Rich, just confirm this, that um, either you called me or I called you last night. I can't remember. I don't remember, but we One were on the phone last other, night. And, and, I, and I said to you, I want you to go to IMDb, right. which is IMDb for those at home, the International Movie Database, which is if you want to know anything about movies, who's in movies, who made uh -huh. movies, uh, soundtrack for movies, right. costume designer, this is where you go. Mm -hmm. You can look any, any one of us three up. We're all on yeah. IMDb. <laughs> 
So out you go. And I said, you know... Um, don't click on anything. Right. I said, don't click on anything. So there were like 25 or 50 movie posters that you saw? Or Probably 200. 200, okay. So I said, and he was in West Hollywood, and I'm in Studio City. Right. Not only the other side of town, but over the mountain. Over the mountain and the right. hill, and the reception isn't good. It and was not Gabe good. and I connect mentally. We, we, we play mentalism games together, and we really, really can read each other's minds, and there's real serious... Uh, connection there. And and so I said, just think of one of those movies. Don't click on anything, because I didn't even want there to be the possibility that I could somehow know, which is impossible right. anyway, but I said, just think of one of those movies. And then I said, okay, after you've just thought of something, go and look somebody up. Anybody can be a, a wardrobe designer or whatever. So he did that. And um, and I've been thinking about it and thinking about it. And I have too, and I've been sending it to you also, <laughs> just so you know. A really hard time. Um, I'm, can I just write down? Yeah. Do you want me to write it down also, so there's no question about whether or not we're being honest? Uh, yeah, maybe. It's, well, I'm. Yeah, sure. Why not? All right. Give me a piece of paper. Give me your pen. I'm gonna write this down, and this is the movie title. This is the movie. Okay. So let me do the movie. This <laughs> is, um, you know, Gabe and I have been doing this intriguing. for Gabe and I have been doing this for years. Well, we did it outside the the club. No, you haven't seen anything. This is really um, okay. Let's see. We how do this. it with cards, and it gets even more you're, insane. You're writing the movie now. Okay, I wrote so, the movie down. Okay. Um, and he's going to guess what movie you're not going to guess. I'm sending it to him. Now, again, this is Mentally? something you didn't yes. click on. You no, I didn't to, click on you it. You went to, to IMDb and just looked up any right. movie you wanted. Okay, so you are mentally you hold that. focused on the movie that you wrote down Correct. there. And then you're going to guess what that I'm, is. Uh, hopefully. Okay. Uh, oh, shit. All Whenever right. he exhales like that. That's his game. Okay, that so means he's can, already got so it. So it can be any that movie. Means he's already got any it. movie. Maybe you show yours to the camera first, and okay. then I'll show mine. It can, any movie, okay. And this is what Rich was thinking of, and Gabe is going to guess. Right. Well, it's what is it? Reptile. <gasps> no. Okay. I I believe Rich. He doesn't lie. He does a lot of things, but not lie. <laughs> okay. So, now, to, have, should, you, have you seen the movie? Should you guys do another have one? Have you heard of the movie? I have not heard of the we movie. We watched it. What is Reptile? Is it Benicio Del Toro? Yes. Oh, I love okay. him. Yeah, well, that was the Benicio Del Toro and what's her name? Uh, from Clueless. It was so good. Oh, oh, Alicia right, Silverstone. Right, right, right. yeah. yeah. Silverstone. Yeah. Yeah. Silverstone? Silverstein, yeah, Alicia, well, Alicia yeah, Silverstein, she she right. was wonderful. And then you thought it was nice to see else. her again on the big screen. Oh, uh, what a, a different movie! Yeah, you thought of something. That's where you were going through the whatever you said, two hundred movie posters. Right, you just thought of one. You didn't click on it. Yes, that is true. Oh, um, oh that was reptile. That was reptile. Okay, but you're thinking of some. Don't give me any hints. But you're thinking of something else too, correct? Right now. No, from from where you, when you well, were Well, something TV. caught my eye, but I thought it would be too easy. So I kept looking through, and then I came across reptile. This is no, rare but, reptile. I'm, I'm getting something else, too. I'm getting a person that you're Write it down. Of. Does that make sense? Sure. Oh, so I got this wrong. Okay. If I give you a piece of paper, can you write the person down? Yeah, but I don't think we're going to get this, though. I don't think so, either. But 
I like living well, on the edge. Well, be I optimistic, just, just so you, you know, too. Gabe would come over this. the house. He'd bring these two sets of cards. We would open up copious bottles of wine. So you're thinking of a person. Yeah. In a movie? Yes. On on IMDb. Well, I saw the poster. Okay, so a... a, a no, and, not the poster. Um... The poster was the uh, was well reptile, but before reptile, I saw a different poster, and that made me think of an actor. Okay, give me what you wrote down, Rich. I'm thinking of a person. Uh, That's not what I'm not. See, you guys are on the same page for this one, but is not an actor. Um, Okay, this is not working. Cinematographer or something. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no way you're gonna get this. There is no. You're absolutely right. This was the first person I thought of before. Let me write so this down. Somebody he thought of yes. before he even made up his okay, mind. Okay, write Hold it down. On. Okay, so and let me write when there I'm is gonna. no okay. way you're gonna get this. I'm it going is to. so obscure that if you get this. I mean, I know he's going to now. You're absolutely what? right. This was the, I don't even know if she knows who it I is. I probably am not. Do you know who that is? I don't even know how to. I'm writing this down because I have, it doesn't make sense to okay, me. Okay, so. Uh, but don't say anything. I want it to go as esoteric and so deep cut as humanly possible. And like, right. seriously. Let me know if you're ready. Okay. Um, there's, if you get this dude, I swear this is going to be insane. This is someone that has something to do with movies. Oh yeah. 100%. Okay, so don't say what, but is there one movie that's maybe more famous or that can stand out above the rest that you can think of? I mean, no, because it, it, so many famous movies. I'll tell you what the first thing that I'm getting. And again, don't just yes or no. The okay. The thing I'm getting is that. This is, it's weird because it's a it's a movie it's an it's a period movie but it wasn't made during the period and yet it's still black and white but there's there's a tiny bit there's some color in it but it's not the Wizard of Oz does this make sense that this person had something to do with a movie like that several several movies like that okay for the this is crazy wait. I wrote down what he does. What's he? Uh, okay. What what the movie is? I'm not I'm, telling you that I'm thinking of. Okay, should I should no. I reveal? Show the, yeah, show the name. Should I? show the name to the okay. camera? Janos. Janus. Janus Kaminsky. Correct. And what what movie is? Well, Janus Kaminsky is Steven Spielberg's DP. I'm turn this around. Yeah. Okay. So when you watch okay, a Spielberg it movie, it's shot by Janus Kaminsky. Yeah. I was directed by Janus Kaminsky in the only film he ever directed. Did he do Schindler's List? Well, yeah, he did all of Spielberg's movies. Yeah, that's what I thought. So what does that say? What does Janusz it say? Janus Kaminsky, cinematographer, Whoa. Schindler's <gasps> List. Oh. Okay, so here's my question. If you can do this, what else can you do? Like uh, like you, you can't crack a safe, I'll tell you, you that. You know, much. yeah, like what I mean, you're you could, you know, be like a a I I don't know what a psychic, I guess, where people would pay you a lot of money to I, you know, you know read funny, I, into I, their I, future uh, or uh, fair for the LAPD. And I do this thing where I have somebody hold something in one of their hands, and I, I and I tell them which hand it's in. I tell them to lie once, tell the truth once. Yes, it's in this hand. Yes, it's in this hand. Then I tell him, and he came up and he gave me his card. After he said, you know, we're having trouble with one suspect. If you want to come in, and I thought, oh, this would be cool. I thought now, 
I no, don't, I don't need to. You don't want to send a guy to the chair. Bring that into your ISIS. life. I don't want to talk. Now you've that's seen a, me a, do it also at the I house. Have. I've seen you do it in you've, a frightening way. You've seen me do it at the I've, house. You you've read my mind on a few things. I yeah can hear. He's guessed what I'm thinking. It's a very weird thing. Yeah, but you've seen me actually. I have. You know, do it with people at the house, and it's. It's very hard to explain what happens when somebody is lying. You know what I mean? But you can, for me, it's, it's almost metaphysical. It's as if you can, I can see the words coming out of their mouth, but they're moving at a much slower pace than if they were telling me the truth. Interesting. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yep, I. It's interesting you say that because I I look for a lot of tells. Obviously, me too. Do this. It's all tells, and for me, one of the most obvious tells is, and it's great. I got this book, by the way, great book called "What Everybody Is Saying" by an ex FBI counterintelligence agent mm. who teaches all the other agents to read I IQs and to know right. if he's lying or telling the truth. They say when you lie, you can't look someone in the eye. It's actually the opposite. You tend to stare at them because you want to. You want to oversell it, right? Yeah. And that's what people tend to do when I do the quarter thing. So I'm looking at a whole bunch of stuff. So, yeah. So that part is like completely unrelated to magic, you know? Yes. Um, that's yes. not magic. What we magic just did, like, what yeah, David and I just did right. is not magic. Right. Not a card trick. Yeah. yeah. Wow. How did you know? When did you know you had this gift? You know, I, how did it I, come about? It's always, it's funny. In, in certain ways, I'm completely oblivious. In certain ways, I'm really intuitive. And so there were things that I would just. Know. That is true, by the way. Yeah, it is. True. When it comes to regular life shit, you are oblivious. so fucking oblivious. It's not even funny. <laughs> I mean, so Gabe will get in his car and go, "Which way do I turn the key in order to start it? Towards me or away from me?" <laughs> five five times exactly. any nominations. <laughs> yeah, Janusz Kaminski, and dude. A mentalist. Come and on, a, and a teacher and, and of comedy. Right. I'm not sure. I and, went way yeah, off I'm the board you, on that one. I I am the witness, ladies and gentlemen. That really happened. And you were in your home. I was at surfing home surfing the web. Surfing the web. Yep. Okay. Only here. Yeah. At drinking during business hours. Okay. So, Gabe. Thank you so very much for being on. Thank you. It's been so much fun. It's, I really enjoyed getting to know you. Me too. And uh, how do people find yes, you? Yes, yes. Where um, they can find me, they can actually email me if they'd like. Uh, Gabe dot Abelson at gmail dot com. Mm -hmm. uh, they can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Gabelson G A B E L S O N. Right. Uh, or Flappers Comedy Club if they want to take the class. Mm -hmm. Um, two of my uh, uh, standout stand-up, I, I can't even call them students because they're funnier than I could ever be, uh, are Emma Willman and Marcus J. Monroe. Yep. Um, I know really, Emma. I don't really know. Really brilliant yeah. comics. And, mm -hmm. you know, with someone like, I've been working with Emma now for about eight years, and we just have, wow. it's the best relationship because she, her ideas are just so unbelievably funny, and she's always looking for organization. Organization is sort of my strength. Mm. So together, you know, it's it's really sessioning rather than teaching at that point because Emma's brilliant. Um, so yeah. So it's the more advanced they are, the more fun it is. Oh to, to yeah! Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you really for sharing every sharing your mind as well. Yeah. Right. Uh, so yeah, that was and really please good. please come back sometime I would and. Love to. 
Yeah, to be continued for sure. Yeah, we'll definitely have next you come back. Yeah, uh, the ESP cards. Oh yes, uh, so next, let's we'll so do the tune in next time. Over the house, we'll do the ESP cards. That'll really blow her mind. That's a whole other game. I'll tell you about in a minute. And Sarah, where do people find you? I'm at Sarah Halstead. And I am at Rich Chastler on all my socials. And we are drinking during business hours. Yes. Please remember to like and, uh, and subscribe. To like and subscribe. Five stars. We like the five stars. Yes. And we also, uh, we, we, we like to hear from you. So, yeah. you know, feel free to hit us up. And uh, until the next show. All right. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>